0: Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Centre at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning and welcome to Devotions again. So we are in the church at Thyatira today. Strangely, the longest letter goes to the least important town. So uh, let's read it. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like beaten brass. I know your works. I mean your love and your loyalty and your service and your steadfast endurance. And I know that your last works are more than your first. But I hold it against you that you make no effort to deal with that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and whose misleading teaching causes my servants to commit fornication and to eat meat offered to idols. I've given her a time within which to repent, and she refuses to repent from her fornication. Sorry? Sorry? Behold, I'm coming to cast her into a bed and I'm going to cast her paramours into great affliction unless they repent from their deeds and I will slay her children with death and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the inmost desires and thoughts of a man's being and I will give to each one of you what your works deserve. To the rest of you in Thyatira, to all those who do not hold this teaching, to such as have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I say this, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. All I say is, hold on to what you have until I come. I will give to him who overcomes and who keeps my works to the end authority over the Gentiles. He will smite them with a rod of iron like vessels of pottery. They'll be smashed. But this is the authority that I've received from my father and I will give him the morning star. Let him who has an ear hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So Thyatara, interesting place. Uh, a centre for commerce and, um, and professional guilds. Little town, not easily defensible. Um, <laughs> you know those places that sort of, uh, as I drove through this little town, it had gateway to the Bunyas, which just meant, well, there's nothing really happening here. Um, it's a bit like Thyatara. It would have had a big sign over the front door saying, gateway to Pergamum, uh, because that's really what it was. Um, militarily it's only use was you could put some soldiers there and they could fight for a while while Pergamum got organized but you couldn't really defend it Uh, religiously yeah nothing going on a very small local divinity a small local uh, female oracle uh, who worked but nothing special not a center for Caesar worship or high Greek culture Um, just a bit of a working town on a road you know a lot of you know, small business and trading going on, few warehouses, that sort of stuff. Um, not a centre of great persecution at all. The church here um, is relatively safe from um, from the sort of troubles that are coming to the other churches. So that's that's the town in a nutshell. Uh, if you'd walked into the church, you would find what looked like a very healthy, happy church. It was established by Paul. It's still growing. Um, it's just Fantastic! It's a great little community. It seems like there's some good um, cash flows running through. it. I'll tell you why I think that might be so in a little while, but um, yeah, it's looking good. Um, now, the challenge to the Thirteenth Church is fundamentally these trade guilds. Guilds, the guilds uh, had a, a fairly ritualized life, a little bit like the, the sort of things that led to the Masonic lodges and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, a generation ago. Um, but this was when they were still actually trade guilds, you know, and, and were you know lodges of, of guys who were trying to do an industry together. But the feasts and festivals and meals and meetings of these guilds were held normally in pagan temples. This was the public space. And so you would get an invitation to dinner. It would say, I invite you to the table of my Lord Serapis. And, uh, and that's where tea was going to be served. Now, all of that meat would be offered to the idol that you were, you know, in the temple of. Um, and this business about you can't eat meat offered to idols. See, we we think that sounds a bit like halel. It wasn't. What it meant was you couldn't join a trade guild because you couldn't go to the meeting. So the Christians were committing some sort of commercial suicide by their insistence that, well, we just don't do that. And they were this strange other group. Now in Thyatira, it's it's not in the, the heat of persecution. It's just in the, the normal processes of holiness that we get to see a church that we can relate to, I think, really, really well. Um, how do we live in this town where one of the tenets of our religion is that we're cut out of the economy? And I just want you to think about that today. If we took ethical use of our money seriously, we too would have really, really grave troubles participating in the bulk of the economy and supporting many of the multinationals that sit behind everything we do. So it's it's a real issue, and it's still very much alive. Um, now, in the middle of it all is this woman, Jezebel. Uh, probably it wasn't a name. She's called that because that's the name for, you know, any woman who goes really wrong. All sorts of theories about who she was was one of them was that she was the presiding elder's wife um, you've got to do some things to the Greek text to come up with that so that's probably not right um, bottom line she's a prophetess and she's teaching the same sort of Nicolaitan era that we saw the other day guys follow Jesus believe but ease off on this strict otherworldly stuff eat the meat you know Your sexual morality doesn't matter that much. Let's fit in. Now, one of the the theories, and it's only a theory, is that the traders who were Christians in the church were part of the guilds, were eating meat offered to idols, and were bringing the money back to the church for all sorts of charitable purposes and so on. So, you know, it, it was good in that way for the church that this was going on. Now, The Christian insistence on this meat business was really a massive set-apart issue. It was something that made us look different and unpopular. If we had have compromised on that, if we had have compromised on sprinkling a pinch of incense over a flame and saying Caesar is Lord, life would have been much easier, but equally I think Christianity would have just become one more of the plethora of cults in the Roman world that ultimately would have gone nowhere. The Christian claim is that Jesus is Lord and there is nowhere to go apart from that. When we work out what we believe that means, we have to die in a ditch for it. And it was this Christian exclusivism that was the harder road by far to, to try to grow an institution that actually allowed the church to become what it became. So this, this compromise with Caesar worship, with meat offered to idols, and the other one is her fornication. Now, um, we're in the early church. People don't realise how much really interesting teaching was going on in the early church. Huge battle for the soul of the church Um, that was starting about now and ran through to 130, 150 um, with a thing called Gnosticism. The Gnostics had this teaching that physical matter and the spirit couldn't connect. um, And so Jesus only appeared to be a human or something. but, um, But critically, what it meant, it went two ways. Either the body and matter being the body, is very bad and must be subdued. And it led to this dreadful asceticism. Or equally, it went to the point of my body doesn't matter. Eat, drink and be merry. And one of the sort of Gnostic goals was to allow yourself to be utterly mired in every sort of immorality and sin. while it didn't affect your soul. (laughs) And it is entirely possible that this reference to fornication is an early reference to that debate. Which we had to sort out through some very large councils of the church and work out what we believed about some of this stuff. But the the early church was a seething, oh mess of really interesting teaching. We get the Bible. That's the word of the winners. Um, believe me, it was not that clean. It was anything but. And people like Jezebel were were teaching. The Nicolaitans were big. The Gnostics were coming. And, and, you know, the, the circumcision party was there. It, it was this huge debate going on all the time. So perhaps the fornication just frank, frank, frankly meant fornication. Uh, but it could well have also meant sort of that Celtic thing of, you know, when you sin against God, it's, it's like sexual immorality, I don't know. But very possibly. So the necessary conclusion seems to be this. On the surface, the church authority is strong and flourishing. If you walked in, you'd be very impressed. It's a healthy, strong church. It's not under persecution. It's going well. There's something really missing. A church that is crowded with people and allowing the end of building the institution to justify the means by which that happens is not healthy from God's point of view. Uh, a congregation that needs to be soothed and have their existing predilections stroked rather than confronted by an ongoing engagement with truth, with the word of God, with cultural engagement, with all that stuff, that's not a healthy church. That's a comfortable religious club. A church that doesn't deal with the issues of both morality and ethics, as we saw yesterday. A church that is not constantly on the lookout for its, its heart is not a healthy church. No matter how comfortable it looks, no matter how many warm hugs there are over morning tea, no matter how good the offerings are. Jesus put it fairly bluntly. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and the trade guilds. Deuteronomy has it in the... Um, in, in that covenant renewal thing uh, at the end of uh, beginning of Joshua's thing, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know how you're going, but that to me just sounds like this is our letter in the, in the church at the moment. No persecution, growing, apparently healthy, a lot of fun, good things happening. Let's just look to our hearts and uh, do what someone called a check-up from the neck up. Let's see what we're really believing. Let's look to the issues of holiness, personal morality, societal engagement, and how we live as light in a dark place. Do we even still believe, believe we live in a dark place, or is it sort of basically okay? All these are the questions raised for us very poignantly by the authoritarian Church. Let's pray. Father... Um, I find this church the most challenging by far or this letter the most challenging by far of the letters of the book of Revelation. It's the one that certainly addresses me where I live. And and from a pastor's point of view, how do we make it as calm and easy as possible to follow Christ without compromising the essential thing of this is a kingdom, not a volunteer organisation? Father, this is just hard stuff. So, Lord, I want to pray for our churches this morning, Lord, wherever we worship. Lord God, particularly for Redlands Church of Christ. Father, help us to write this stuff in our hearts. Lord, help us not to sell our soul to the growth of the institution. Help us, Lord, to sell our souls to the name of Jesus and let the chips fall where they may. Father, these dangerous things we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Bless you, folks. We'll uh, see you on the morrow. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode, and please don't forget to sign up to thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.